preach today um, about another underdog of Christmas. If you've missed this series, the underdog of Christmas series, go back and watch it. You might enjoy it. It's a little bit of a different style than I normally do. Um, it's a little bit more history, culture, um, kind of understanding the context of the nativity story and the characters and some that aren't often talked about. Um, we are going to end up talking about Jesus, so everyone relax, okay? We're like, is he going to ever get to Jesus? We're going to get there. We're saving that, all right? Every Sunday is about Jesus. It's okay if we take three Sundays and talk about some characters that were in the life of Jesus. Um, so we're going to get there, but today we're going to kind of uh, finish the, the characters out there other than Jesus that are the underdogs of the nativity story or the Christmas story as we hear today. Today, we're going to actually talk about Mary, okay? So the recovering Catholics in the room, do whatever you need to do, okay? But we're going to talk about Mary and a little bit about um, culturally what was happening. We're going to get into some scripture a little bit more intensely than we did in the last couple of weeks. But two weeks ago, I talked about Joseph. Little known about Joseph, never quoted in the Bible, there's not a single quote from Joseph in the Bible. 17 years old, he did some things that literally changed the course of history um, that you will be very encouraged. Uh, last week, we talked about the Magi, a little bit about the Magi, that they weren't exactly um, three little old wise men that were in their colorful outfits and they're in bringing gifts. There was a lot more to it and it really taught us how God will take something outside of our context or outside of our box and still do what he wants to do anyways. Amen? And this week, we're going to talk about Mary. And there's a lot out there about Mary. I had a video I was going to show you, but I was like, you know what? I don't want anyone to get mad at me, so I'm just going to describe it to you. Mary was probably not, not probably, she definitely was not pale-faced, curly hair, as we see it in the depictions. If you've ever been to Italy and you go to the Vatican or you go to any place, especially in Europe, it's this very, very fair-skinned depiction of Mary with rosy red cheeks. I mean, she looks almost like, a, like an adult version of like Shirley Temple or something, okay? E extremely um, delicate, all of these kind of images that we see of Mary. Mary was probably more the color of somebody originating from the area of maybe India, Indonesia, that would probably be more her skin tone uh, than anything else. Also, her fingers would probably, based on her betrothal and what was going on ceremonially, would probably have been stained with red. She also probably would have had a gold nose ring of sort, which was also a part of the betrothal ceremony. And it wasn't a tiny little nose ring. It would have been like a giant gold, gold, uh, gold ring. Her hair would have been probably jet black, and she would have been marrying, wearing makeup. She would have really looked like almost somebody out of like a, a Bali type or, or some sort of um, like Indian sitcom or something like that. She would have been very exotic looking, changing a little bit of your picture of Mary for a second. And all of this at the age of probably 11, 12, or 13. Culturally, for you and I, 11, 12, and 13 is like, okay, girls shouldn't be being betrothed and married and carrying a child. Back then, it was normal. So kind of take that out of your mind, other than the fact that she had only been on this earth 11, 12, or 13 years and was dealing with, was carrying quite a responsibility. Some fun facts about her. She was born um, more than likely to 
um, an older set of parents, much older set of parents, who we believe was not only in the lineage of David, of course, Joseph was also, but also her relative Elizabeth that we're going to talk about today. If you go back in the lineage of Elizabeth, Elizabeth was in the lineage of the Levites who were, ended up being the priests of the tabernacle of Moses. So in the lineage of Jesus, if we trace it back, we trace it back to the, the king prior to Jesus in David. And we trace it back to the high priest. So when they called Jesus king and priest, it wasn't just a name they gave him. It was in his blood. Come on. Um, Luke chapter one. Let's start there. We're going to start in verse 26. She would have been born to an older set of parents who to this point had not had children. And they were desperate for children. They were, they believed she would have been, the mother would have been six months to a year after the priest declared her barren. They would have given birth or they would have, she would have gotten pregnant with Mary. So there actually Mary was in and of herself a miracle from birth. And if you begin to look at, you know, sometimes we'll get all upset because of maybe the treatment of people of other faiths when it comes to Mary. I feel like they exalt her, you know, beyond what she should be, et cetera. Uh, but I will tell you this, if you really study the story of Mary, you can kind of understand over the last hundreds and thousands of years why uh, faiths and religions would have um, some reverence for her, albeit maybe taken beyond what we're comfortable with. But you can kind of understand it because Mary actually from a young age begins to prophesy the life of the one she would, once, would one day carry. I'll, I'll paint that for you here and there throughout today. In verse one, or verse 26, chapter one, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. If you don't know what that means, betrothed and the process of the Jewish, um, uh, the process of a Jewish wedding, um, engagement, et cetera. Go back two weeks ago. You'll hear all about it. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And you, uh, this, this is very interesting. Um, I'm going to kind of just break down some of this because we're going to be kind of, we're going to begin to see Mary's almost uh, prophetic interactions or declarations of who Jesus was going to be. Mary, believe it or not, would have studied based on the family she was from, the area she was from. Mary would have been a very unique um, woman or female child at the time because she would have studied in the temple. She would have known Especially, they love to study some of the prophecies, Isaiah especially. So she would have known the context or the, she would have known what the scriptures would, was saying about what was going to happen. She would have known that based on where she was from, who she was, that it was possible she could potentially be the one to carry the Christ child. And it's interesting, church, that the angel of the Lord, or a messenger, as it actually says, says, says to her, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. If you go back in, in the 
older ancient Hebrew text. Of course, this is the text that we use to translate as Greek, but there are some Hebrew versions of it. That word, the Lord is with you, is actually the word Emmanuel. So the angel of the Lord was tipping Mary off uh, from the scripture in Isaiah 7, 14, that says, and she shall have a son and they will call him Emmanuel or God with us. Cool, right? So when the angel of the Lord came to her, remember, we've translated this a million times. So we just say the angel of the Lord came and said, greetings, O favor one, the Lord is with you. What the angel of the Lord was saying is greetings, O favored one, Emmanuel. Now, I want you to picture this. If you, today, I said to you, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> Probably a similar reaction to, with Mary. And I said, and the Lord wants you to call him Stephen which is a terrible name. That's our, our, our media guy back there, okay? Stephen. And 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is later, you're in another state, you're in another city, you're around people that don't know me, never heard that, and somebody comes up to you and says, greetings, Stephen. <laughs> See what's going on here? They're messing with me now. You, you would go... Oh, I've heard this before. Come on. I remember reading about that. Also, the word, guys, this is interesting. The word favored one here. There's so much just in that one sentence. He says, greetings or hello or shalom or whatever it is. Favored one, the Lord is with you. The word favored one comes from a Greek word translated to basically it's only used twice in the New Testament, here and one other place I'm going to read to you. And it means the extravagant favor of God infuses you with grace. The angel of the Lord is setting Mary up, or the messenger from God is setting Mary up. He says, boy, if this doesn't, if this doesn't, if you're especially Mary, if this doesn't begin to go, oh, something's about to go down. He says, First of all, it's a messenger from the Lord. And from what I can tell, this wasn't like a normal thing that happened, right? It's probably as, as, as um, happened about as much then as it does now, okay? No offense, but if you come to me and said, a messenger walked into your bedroom last night and told you something, I'm more likely not to believe you than I am, okay? That being said, you could probably convince me. So the angel of the Lord comes to Mary, check this out, and says, hey there, Good to see you, Mary. Two things here. The extravagant favor of God infuses you with grace. Emmanuel. <laughs> In other words, Mary, what's getting ready to happen is only going to happen if the extravagant favor of God infuses you, fills you with grace for the journey ahead. Because God is with us. In other words, God is getting ready to be with us. Emmanuel. That's the first thing that happens. Then, by the way, I, 
I'm probably not going to get through this. That's okay. <laughs> it's used twice, that word in the Greek, the favored one. The other time it's used, I, I could just stop here and preach this. The other time it's used, the Lord's talking about you and me. I have to say this quiet because I'm going to blow my voice out for the next service. The same extravagant favor of God that infused Mary with the grace she needed to carry the Savior is also available in you. Come on. I can't pay my bills this month. I get it. That's terrible. We're facing difficult times all the time. I understand life is hard, but the same extravagant favor that infused Mary with the grace at 11 or 12 or 13 years old to carry the Christ child, to carry the promise that for generations and thousands of years the world was waiting on, the same grace is available to you and me. It's like cartoonamini or something like that. It's crazy. It's a big, long word. Rather than butcher, I'll just tell you it's the Greek word. It's found in Ephesians 3, 1, 6. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. That word glorious grace in the Greek is the same word that's translated favored one. It means, listen, it means once again, the extravagant favor of God that infuses you with grace. And it says that the, the glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved or in Christ. Do you see this, church? What was passed and given to Mary was passed through the birth of her son, Jesus, and through Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and the fact that every single one of us have received, that we were, we, were, we were born with, we were buried with, and we were resurrected in Christ. Do you hear me today? And because of that, that extravagant grace that infuses us with all that we need for the journey is inside of each one of us. I think it's power. You got to hear this. It's very powerful when God decides to use a word only once or twice. He's saying no other situation in this entire book deserves the treatment of this word. But when I talk about my children and the inheritance they get through his son, I'm going to use it one more time. Can you see that? It's like he went to the shelf of words he had waiting, and there was one word that's been dusty for a while. And when he gets to the book here where they're writing the letter to the church of Ephesus, he goes, you know what? I think I, I, I retired that word. I was only going to use it for, for the woman that carried my son to birth him into this world. I was going to just leave it there because, you know, it's a very powerful, I mean, it is, it's, it's everything that heaven has. And so I don't know if I should use it again. I just, you know, I'm worried about this. And as this letter begins to write, he, he, he inspires the author 
author and he says, hey, I'm taking, you know, I'm taking the thing that we've kept locked up for a while out off the shelf. We're going to dust it off because my children for thousands of years to come, the Jerry's, come on, you hear me, the Charlene's of the world, they need to know that the same, come on, the same extravagant favor of God that infuses Mary with grace to carry Jesus is in them too. And then he doesn't use it again. How? Boy, if, if, if you don't want to run out of this place and go fulfill everything God's called you to do, I don't think I can do it, all right? That is about the best that we can get. And if I ended there right now, I'd get paid today, okay? But I'm not going to end there yet. Verse 29, continuing the story of the nativity. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Angel said to her, do not be afraid. For Mary, you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. I, 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 I'm going to save that. We're going to get that in a week from now. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And listen to this. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let me do according to your word. What some of your scriptures and versions, if you have your Bibles with you, are going to say, Behold, I am your handmaiden. 11, 12, 13 years old would have been the range of her age. A couple things I want you to see here. Mary gets this visitation, has a conversation. She knows that she's facing. Do you understand that Mary's more than likely thinking probably this time? And two weeks ago, I kind of explained why. She's probably thinking to herself, I'm going to be executed. I don't know a lot of 11, 12, and 13-year-old girls in today's modern age. I know atrocities from wars and the Holocaust and so many times that kids face those terrible, terrible fates. But in modern times, I don't know, especially in our society, a lot of 11 and 12 and 13-year-old girls that are facing their potential execution. And in that, at that age... She still had a reckless obedience, and it was reckless to say, I will serve you, Lord, and I will carry this promise. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I'm going to do it. I want you to picture for a second that Mary, when she conceives through the Holy Spirit, is now carrying the promise for generations inside of her. She's stewarding the promise that mankind has been waiting for. Let's go to the beginning of chapter two. Actually, no, let's stay there for a moment. Uh, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose, went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and she greeted Elizabeth. Remember, Elizabeth is with child. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. <laughs> And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I want to tell you this right now. Mary, we don't know the exact moment of her conception, but we believe at this time more than likely she was with child based on the chronology of the birth here that's getting ready to happen with Elizabeth. If I can tell you something for your life and mine, it's this. If you're carrying a promise, get around other people who are also carrying promises. A, you get two people together carrying promises and they're going to both leap for joy. Come on. If God has given you a promise, a dream, a mission, and you place yourself around people that don't have any of those things, at best, there's no joy in it. At worst, it'll kill your promise. Come on. I want you to picture this. They're carrying the promise of of mankind. They get around each other, and there's something that happens that we don't see really recorded anywhere else. The baby begins to leap from joy, and I want you to also see this. I don't have time to do it all. I'm so such a mess this morning because I'm so excited about this. (laughs) But listen to me. Not only does the baby leap for joy, but Elizabeth was an older, Elizabeth was an older relative of Mary's. And it says, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? So in Mary carrying the promise, Elizabeth began to see her differently. It's not my niece. It's not my, my younger you know, cousin. He says she refers, you have to understand, these terminologies when it comes to um, family structure was very important. It was a, it was a it, like I was in Iraq many years ago and we were in a Yazidi um, refugee camp and literally an entire family, probably 30 people in this family living in a chicken coop, an abandoned chicken coop when they'd been driven out of their homes in um, Sinjar City and, and some of that area where uh, um, Al-Qaeda was at the time. And I remember sitting there and they call the, matri- or the patriarch there the, the one who is really oversees everything. He was an old man. They got an opportunity to talk to him through an interpreter and film him and be with him for a while. They call him Baba. And Baba is this, they don't, there's other adult men who are also fathers in that family unit. They don't get that term. Do you hear me today? She sees, she begins to shift and see Mary differently because Mary is carrying a promise. Number one, get around people who also have a promise. Number two, get around people who recognize the promise in you and see you differently. Come on. And if they don't, gently dismiss them from your life. Come on, get around people who believe that there's something different about you because you're carrying a dream or a promise. Come on, they will see that. They will be there to midwife you through that process. Come on. Oh man, there's so much. I don't know what to tell you today. Um, yeah, let's do this. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus. We'll finish with it, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cornelius was governor of Syria. All went to be registered, each um, to his own town. Joseph went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth. Mary was from Nazareth. Joseph was from Bethlehem. They had to return back to the father's hometown 
to do the census. Everyone, no matter where they lived, had to return back to the father of the family's hometown, and that's where they would be recorded for census. That's why they went back to Bethlehem. To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her first son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Church, Bethlehem at the time was a city of about 500, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago. They did not have an inn. I'm going to mess with your, your cute little nativity at home. They did not have a hotel. And they definitely didn't have multiple hotels. Because when we do this with the kids, you know, in church, they just keep going from inn to inn to inn looking for. There was no inn. Do you hear me? There's no inn. How do I know that? Well, because the word inn in the Greek is the word kataluma. And Cataluma has nothing to do with an inn or a hotel. Cataluma means guest room or guest house. You can see how easily it's translated, right? Because we call people in a hotel guests, right? But it actually means guest house because in these homes, most homes during this time period in this area of the world would have had guest rooms and the homes were built, listen to me, usually two levels, sometimes three levels, because the square footage of their land was very expensive, so they would get a smaller piece of land in their city, and they would build up. The bottom floor was almost always where the animals were kept. Because they didn't have the land to farm, they would keep their animals down below in their house in a stable, basically, and the goat's milk and whatever they needed to feed their families and the sustenance from that, the chickens, the eggs, everything would be down there in the stable on the bottom floor of their house. The second floor, and if they were wealthy, the third floor would have been their residences. And usually the Cataluma was on the second floor of the house. But there was no room in the Cataluna, the guest house, because all of Joseph's family, who was probably scattered throughout this area, had to come back and they would stay with their family because it's a town of 500 and there's no hotels or motels or inns. There's no holiday inns here. No pun intended. That was really good. All right. They would have stayed in the guest room of their family's home. But the guest room was full. What ticks me off about this, if I can say that in church, is the woman is with child. I don't care who's in the guest room. They're going to have to sleep down in the stable. You don't make pregnant Mary at 11, 12, 13 years old sleep in. So on top of everything I've told you about Mary, we can begin to assume she wasn't highly revered by Joseph's family and was made to sleep amongst the animals pregnant in the home of her which probably leads us to believe that they had, regardless of how Joseph dealt with the situation, another plug for listening from two weeks ago, they probably chose to deal with it differently than Joseph and probably had heaped shame upon her for getting pregnant during their betrothal period and it not being Joseph. So she was rejected by Joseph's family. And do you understand? Oh gosh, I have to finish this. Do you understand? Jesus was born more than likely not rejected by some innkeeper who just said, I'd love to house you guys. 
uh, but I'm so sorry all the rooms are filled and I can't ask any of the guests to get out because that's cute and wonderful and beautiful. He was re- she was rejected by her in-laws and sent to give birth amongst their animals. Come on. I, I-, I want to tell you this because I want this to make sense for you and I and then we're going to be done today. Everything that we're learning from the story of Mary and when we get, A, I'm going to unfold a little bit more of this next week as I begin to tie in Jesus. B, I'm going to do an underdogs of Easter leading up to Easter this year, okay? So you guys can disappear between now and then, but come back, okay? I'm just kidding. Underdogs of Easter, and I'm gonna go back to a little bit of Mary's life because she actually foretells the crucifixion, the three-day period of time where, come on, we're gonna get there. Mary, as I end today, is carrying the promise. Mary is clearly walking Uh, the road of shame. Mary at 11, 12, 13 years old is also rejected because why? Because her own family, her own in-laws didn't believe that she was carrying the promise. Has anyone here ever been rejected by their family? You see why we don't tell this story of the nativity? Because that'd be hard to act out, right? You know what I mean? You go and see a live passion play and Joseph's fighting with his mom and dad and brother. Like, but she's pregnant. It's just, it gets a little too, it gets a little too like Dr. Phil or whatever, okay? It gets a little too Jerry Springer for a nativity play. (laughs) But this is what's going on. It is a family feud. And they're like, listen, honey, you can't come upstairs. Essentially, you blankety blank woman who sleeps with somebody else outside of marriage. You don't belong up here. If you're going to deliver this kid, I don't want to put you out, but you can do it amongst the animals. And in the middle of rejection and chaos and shame, the promise for humanity is born. Come on. (laughs) Which, guess what? I'm going to stand in this chair. Hopefully it doesn't break, all right? (laughs) Which, guess what? In the middle of our shame, in the middle of our rejection, in the middle of everybody telling us, including our family, that you won't be there or a maker or the promise inside of you is not true or a joke, In the middle of all that, God says, I'm going to deliver the promise anyway. Come on. Do you hear me today? I'm going to do it anyway. I have to finish. There's no cute closes for this. Guys, I don't know why, but we have to, and I believe, and I will be transparent with you. We have to study and know the history and the cultural impact of what we're reading here. We cannot read these stories For too many generations, we have read these stories and been force-fed a narrative that simply most of the time just doesn't pan out with the rest of history and the rest of what we understand about ancient culture. And when we actually do read it and understand it, we go, oh, now this makes sense, okay? And so we we are going to finish this, not finish it, because I'm going to add a little bit um, on the 26th, but we're going to finish or round this out with Jesus a week from now, setting us up for our candlelight Christmas Eve Eve service where I'm going to put the cherry on the Sunday and then we're going to have a great Christmas with friends and family. Does that sound good? Get out of here. I love you so much. All right, we'll see you next week.